Bibles now, Revelation 20, and I'm going to say a prayer and ask God to bless our time. Uh, Father, it's already been prayed, Ryan prayed, and Adam prayed, and I prayed, and I'm praying again, and, and I just thank you for my friends. Now, we're going to study your word. People watching online, studying your word. And in Jesus' name now, as we do this together, would you be honored, Lord, and would you help us? Lord, I pray for a measure of faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing your word. And Lord, we need to have faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please you apart from faith. And so I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that the household of faith would be sharpened, it would be enhanced, we'd grow that muscle. I pray for the brothers and sisters that are here too that are, man, they're fighting, fighting battles. They're looking around at their families or the lack of families. They're looking around and just, it's a war. And as we look at some principles today in Revelation 20, I pray they'd be encouraged and you would lead us and guide us during this time. We pray for our country, we pray for our world, we pray for the election coming up and just, man, everything. May, may we be peacemakers, Lord. I think of Romans 14. As much as it pertains to you, be at peace with all men. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. And in a world, Lord, that is desperately seeking peace, would you make us those men and women who are equally pursuing it with you? We thank you, God. Bless this time now in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Eastside, there might be one more bank of lights out or just a bunch of burned out lights. I'm not sure. We can turn some more lights on and get everyone into the word of God. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys right now just love it when things are peaceful in your heart and in your home? Anybody love it when things are peaceful? Let me, let me ask actually a broader question. That was supposed to be my last question. I got excited. I skipped the first four questions. How many of you guys right now want or in theory world peace? Like wouldn't that be cool? World peace? Wouldn't that just be crazy? And I think it's the right thing to say yes. Otherwise you're a weirdo. Like, no, I don't want it. You're like, okay, you come to the 11 a.m. service. You know, anyways, and so we want world peace, but how many of you guys have like traveled the world or kind of watched, you know, C-SPAN or MSNBC or see what's going on? And you're like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. And some of these weird countries in South America and, and North America, that's us, you know, and all these, you know, in the Central America, all these places. And then the, there's Africa and then there's the Middle East. And world peace is kind of one of those things like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's pretty whack. How, how about, how about, let's just, let's zoom in a little bit. How many of you guys want peace then in America? Like just America, wouldn't that be so cool, man, just to have America full of peace? Now, how many of you guys have, you know, at least a little bit of eyesight, you know, and your ears work a little bit and you can see and hear, it's not very peaceful. As a matter of fact, right now in, in America, it's, it's very turbulent. It's almost equally divided. And even that division is, is divided within that division. And so world peace is kind of hard to conceive and global or, or national peace is a little bit hard to conceive. How about this? Let's do it back. How about just peace in your own family? When was the last time you just had complete peace for like a whole month in your family? No problems, no squabbles, no isms, no schisms, no fears. No Anybody have peace in their family for a month? How about a week? How about a day? How about like, remember that one time when everyone was asleep? Remember that time? That was it right there. Even in your house, man, it's just, it's, it's crazy, man. Okay, let's just go even narrower. How many guys are looking for peace just in your own hearts? Just you. Just daily, constant peace. And if you're honest, there are moments, especially if you're a Christian, where the peace that passes understanding floods your soul. And no matter what's going on around you, you're just, you're taken care of, you're blessed. But if you're honest, 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 there are moments where you're just grinding it out. And it is a war. And even if you're saved, God has gone into your past. He's forgiven you. He's with you now, holding you. He's preparing a place for you. That peace can just be taken so quickly. Peace is something that we all want. Peace is something that's 
ingrained in our hearts. Peace is something we want in a world level, in a national level, in a familial level, and then a personal level. And yet, if you're honest, you find that it escapes you. And so today in Revelation 20, check this out, we're going to be studying a futuristic time period called the millennial reign, where there'll be world peace, national peace, familial peace, and personal peace. This is so important you guys grasp this concept, this concept right now because as we look at the future, we understand that this book was given to John, island of Patmos, where there was no peace, where there was ensuing chaos and pandemics and social injustice and racism and government corruption. All that stuff was happening in his day just like our day. It's never not been the same. And God says, I'll just show you what's going on in the future. I'm going to show you the end so you know how to race, so you know how to fight, so you know how to wrestle, so you know what to do when it gets tough. Now, let me remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And maybe, maybe we could put this on the screen. This is the Lord's Prayer. You guys ever prayed the Lord's Prayer before? Can we get this on the screen? Is that going to come up there? Matthew chapter 6, further on verse 9. I'll, I'll read it to you. Jesus said it this way. He said, pray this way when you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. That's the New King James Version. And again, in that prayer, it begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you guys prayed that before? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, we just prayed it just a second ago. I love praying that prayer. And what I'm doing when I pray that prayer is I'm calling down heaven, just calling it down on earth. I want heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, even as it is in heaven. Lord, what are you doing in heaven? Are you doing good stuff in heaven? Duh. Or is heaven too legit to quit? Duh. Do I need some of that in my life? Yeah, for sure. Lord, bring me some of that. But that prayer that Jesus said, hey guys, when you pray, do it this way. I'm just... For 2,000 years now, the church has been praying that prayer, and it hasn't fully been answered. I could go into a whole teaching on prayer, just in the complexities of prayer and the continuations of prayer and the life of prayer. But if Jesus said, pray a prayer that hasn't been answered in 2,000 years, wouldn't you in your kind of cynical 2020 mindset be like, what, what are we doing, dude? We've been praying this prayer. And we saw earlier in the book of Revelation that the prayers of the saints, okay, waft up into heaven. And they're filling a censer. They're filling. And once they're full, the Lord's going to pour those prayers out, and they're going to be answered in such a powerful way, and the Lord is going to answer fully. He answers this partially. You've experienced his peace. You've seen his power on earth, even as it is in heaven. There will be a day, and we're going to see it in Revelation 20, where his kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven, where Jesus comes to rule and reign on planet earth 4,000 years with you and I right by his side in new resurrected bodies. It's going to happen. And as we pray that daily, I want it. But if you're just honest enough to say, man, life's tough sometimes. And I'm praying for peace. And it's not always there. As a matter of fact, I think the tension between Revelation chapter 6 through 19, 18, is the tribulation period. It's right around 12, 13 chapters of just chaos, dude. And then there's four chapters. Chapter 20, 21, 20, 19, 20, 20. Four chapters, count it later. First service, I'll figure it out later. There's four chapters dedicated to eternity, what it's, what it's going to look like. And yet God dedicates more chapters to the chaos and to the struggle and to the trials, details, so we can learn from those principles so John could understand. 
And yet the Bible also is not silent on the glory days, four chapters of the coming kingdom. So look with me at verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, then, I'm going to talk about then, just contextually so you guys can learn, be Bible students. When is then? But, But let's just read it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and he shut him up and set a seal on him. Kind of like one of those, hello, my name is tags, I imagine. So that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Listen, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Stop right there. Eyes up here. I'm so glad that the Lord included this futuristic vision for John who laid no hold of this. This was given to John. Do you think when John wrote this down, he kind of sort of secretly and even openly was hoping that this would happen in his lifetime? Raise your hand if you think John thought this was going to happen in his lifetime. He should all be raising your hands. He thought, he got this. He's like, ah, ah, this is happening. And it didn't happen. And then the next generation would read it and teach it and preach it and send it out and memorize it. And it didn't happen. And yet the hope of heaven and the promises of God and the prophecies of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And now 2,000 years later, we study this and it gives us insights and understandings and preparations of the heart for what in the world we should be doing. Time's going very quickly, whether you believe it or not. You guys know that, right? Some of you young people think, this is boring. This guy talks forever. His beard gets grayer by the minute. And yet when you get just a little bit older, you, man, it starts cruising, doesn't it? It starts, it, starts, it starts cruising. And God wants us to be those who don't miss it, who don't waste our time, who understand the gospel. I hope you are like Adam Durkin encouraged you reading through the gospel of John right now. We're in John 4. So rad. John 4, Jesus Christ going to the woman at the well setting her free, giving her grace, love, and mercy, and then employing her, imploring her. Go go tell everyone you know. (laughs) Let's go. This is what Jesus wants you and I to be a part of. And so John got this letter. Look at verse 20. It says, then I saw, verse 1 of chapter 20, then I saw in heaven an angel coming down from heaven. The then comes after what we just saw, which was Jesus returning on the white horse with fire in his eyes, sword out of his mouth, tattoo on his thigh, Lord of lords, king of kings, coming to judge the nations. And as Jesus returns at the end of the seven-year tribulation period where the church has been tucked away during the rapture time, protected from the wrath of God because we are not appointed to wrath, the Bible says. And so we are protected with Jesus. And the wrath and the judgment of God is poured out. And at the end, Jesus comes back. And you guys remember the story last week. The people of the planet turned to fight Jesus with their weapons. Man, I don't even know what these guys are thinking. But have you ever fought the Lord? Have you ever done that? I mean, it's so fun to make fun of other people, isn't it? And their stupidness and their sin and their rebellion. And then you're like, oops. And anyway, so they fight the Lord and the Lord just wraps it all up and he throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And they're there for a thousand years. They're gonzo. 
And then the Lord goes now, and it says in verse one, he brings an angel down and he takes on Satan, the devil, the dragon, the serpent of old. Now, you know you're super bad when you have four different avatars assigned to you. You know, like, you're not just the devil, not just Satan, not just the serpent of old. You're not just the dragon. You're all of those things combined. And I think about the dragon and the serpent of old, the dragon, the devil. We see, see him introduced in Revelation as the dragon, but we see him introduced in the book of Genesis as the serpent, the deceiver. And he's both just the sly serpent deceiver, just kind of going to just mess with you and trick you. You ever been tricked and deceived by the enemy just by that, you know, slippery, just the sin? Oh, man. And then the other side is that serpent of old, man. It's just a, a, a dragon, a slayer. And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of that. Now, guys, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do my best to teach this in a way that you're going to remember, in a way that's going to motivate you and give you some application. This is some heavy-duty stuff. If you're ever a guest speaker at a church and they give you freedom to teach whatever you want to teach, you're not going to pick Revelation 20. I'm just telling you right now because they're, they're what? You know, but hey, God wants us as a church right now, whatever day it is, going through this to get into Revelation chapter 20, lest we be caught off guard, lest we be distracted in our lives, lest we figure or forget what God wants us to be about. Because if we keep the coming judgment of the Lord, and if we keep the promises of God in front of us at all times, guess what? We're not going to get as distracted from the mission, confused by our current realities from this temporal life. These people then needed that grounding foundation, and so too we do. Now, when God comes back, when Jesus comes back to judge, there will be people after the seven-year tribulation, grab onto this, okay, that don't take the mark of the beast, they don't worship him, and check this out, they also don't die. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting through the whole thing? <sighs> Have you ever watched that show, Survivor? This is going to be like the ultimate survivor, you know, or, or the show alone. This is going to be the ultimate thing where these guys come out and they didn't die. And the Lord then is going to judge those people righteously and say, come into the millennial kingdom. Those who did take the mark of the beast, those who did worship the image and those who did go after the Antichrist will be condemned and they will be put into Hades until after the thousand year reign and they will be judged accordingly. But I want you guys to just grasp a few concepts here that make me happy. Look at verse one again. It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is insane. This is insane. So at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, and at the end of our lives, and at the end of world history as we know it, God's like, okay, everything I wanted to do is done. We're going to go into phase two now. So, hey, you unnamed angel, grab that chain over there. No, nope, not that one, the other one. No, it was too big. No, just the little one, just the bike lock. Grab the bike lock. And he sends this unnamed angel with one hand to chain the devil, Satan, the dragon, and the serpent of old. Now, if you just use your mind, this, dragon, this angel comes down with, he only has one hand now, he's holding a chain, and he grabs the devil himself, and he like incarcerates him and puts him into the bottomless pit. Now, I'm thinking to myself, that was easy. Was there an easy button there? Like, how, <laughs> what in the world? And I don't know how you conceptualize the devil. He's got four names here. He's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. He's a deceiver. Okay, I don't know if you're afraid of him or, or how that looks to you or what's going on. You need to understand this. God in his sovereignty, okay, is allowing Satan and demons and evil and chaos for God's purpose. You got to swallow that pill right now, okay? Satan's bad, evil's bad, sin is bad, chaos is bad. And God says, I know, I know. My son's going to pay for all of it. Okay, the damage will be done. My son will pay for it. He will absorb it and I will use the devil and all that he brings against this world, all that stuff, I will use it for my own good. And when it comes down to taking him out, 
I'm not even worried about it. One angel who doesn't even have a name. It's probably Michael the Archangel. He's the war angel. He's the warrior. We don't know. See, a lot of people think that Satan is the antithesis of God. Like he's the opposite of God. And him and God are going back and forth and wrestling. And Satan has good days and God has good days. And we know in the end that God's going to ultimately win the tug of war of life. And it's going to be closed, but we know God wins. That's not what the Bible teaches. The devil is just a created being, a fallen angel, a fallen archangel. But nonetheless, when God wraps it up, he just takes one. This is important for you who are walking in fear or chaos or, or, or condemnation or chains. Okay, call upon Jesus. Have the Lord fight your battles. Jude told us to have the Lord rebuke the devil for us. The Lord rebuke you. It's not a big... It's, now, I don't want to underestimate our foe, this enemy. And maybe you're here today and, and you're one of those thinkers that thinks, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so God could just wrap this whole thing up like, like that? So the devil doesn't have to be unleashed and on the prowl? So what's going on then? You ever, you ever had that conversation with, like, maybe somebody at community college? <laughs> oh, your God's so good, so big, why is the devil so bad? You know, and they just, you know, it's a good, it's a decent question. Because they get mad, they don't like it. They don't like this, this enemy. Why would God create a world that has an enemy involved? Like, how cruel? Maybe, depends on how you look at it. Depends on how you understand God. You see, what God is looking for right now, and this is important for you guys moving forward, especially in your battles with sin, temptation, and failure, okay, with the, the devil, the serpent, the dragon, with Satan. You know what God's really looking for? He's looking for choice. He wants you to choose him. I got a chance to baptize a, a guy, Kelly. He'll probably be at the next service. I baptized him at Night Beach and, on Friday or something. And as I was talking about baptism, I say, you know the cool thing about baptism is it's one of those commands of God for, for believers. Get baptized. Got to do it. It doesn't save you. You're already saved. And I said, the other thing about baptism is it's literally just between you and him. It's not going to benefit me. I'm going to wash my clothes when I'm done, man. It's a hassle for me, you know. It's just between you and the Lord. And the reality is your walk with Jesus Christ and the righteousness and the choices you make and the life you live and the legacy that you invest Okay, it starts foremost and most importantly between you and the Lord. It's just you and him. It's nothing to do with anybody else. It's you and him. He wants you to choose him. And man, I just, I look away from you guys. I don't want to look at your eyes because I don't want you to see my eyes. When I choose foolishness and sin, and I listen to the serpent of old, okay, it is a direct rejection of my Savior in, in that moment. Just settle for what it is. And God's grace is sufficient for my needs. And when you sin, you sense two things, do you not? Conviction, it's a good thing. It's like senses. When you touch something hot, you're convicted that that's hot. If you're not convicted it's hot, you'll smell skin burning. What's that burning? Conviction is a gift. But you also sense, if you sin, condemnation. Do you not? Condemnation is not from the Lord. It's from the devil. It was to keep you down, grind you down, take you down. What, right now, there's a battle going on. And if you're a believer here, the battle hasn't yet ended. I, I mentioned that two weeks ago. Wouldn't that be awesome if we just got saved? Enraptured! But instead, Ephesians chapter 2 says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're here on purpose. And those good works are going to form faith in our lives, and they're going to send forth dividends for the future. They're forming who we're going to be forever. Your life matters. 
If you're a Christian here, that you get this. Yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice. Satan's going to try and take me down and make me choose otherwise. And God is ultimately, essentially looking at my heart. Do I love him? Do I love the Lord? And you might say you love the Lord, but your lifestyle speaks oftentimes and in moments, just dumb, dumb moments. You ever have a dumb, dumb moment? Shoot. And so God is allowing this time period. Let me use this simple, silly illustration. It'd be like my wife, Crystal, who was up on stage today. Did she do a good job? She did a good job singing today? Yeah, great job. Because I just mentioned her on stage, she won't talk to me for a week, and that's okay. And, and that's my wife, Crystal, and she's beautiful, and she has a beautiful voice, and she's a beautiful woman. And we're married. I don't know if you guys know that. And we're married now for 19 years. And one of the ways that I know that she loves me, okay, is because she chose me over all you other bozos. Okay? Just, it reminds me, I'm like, hey, I'm, hey, I won, I, I got her, you know? But if there wasn't any other guys, just none, no other guys, okay, and she chose me, okay, I would always just kind of wonder, like, you know? Like, was that just, you know, what's going on? Or maybe there was, you know, guys, but let's say I just threatened her life and put a gun to her head, said, marry me, you know? And, you know, and, uh, and she married me, and later on, I wondered if that was authentic love, you know? And does she really love me, or was she scared for her life? I don't know. So because there's other guys to choose from, and I didn't threaten her life, not at all. Instead, instead, by God's grace, I wooed her heart. Okay, I wooed her heart. She married me. And so too, God's given us a choice. Daily. And the devil, he's got four names. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He, he, he wills no other will but to stay, steal, kill, and destroy. And you who are seasoned saints know it. You've got scars, you've got stories. And the Lord only ever always seeks to give and to give more abundantly, John chapter 10. Well, there will be a time, trip out with me, where the Lord says, okay, devil, you've served your purpose. Thank you very much. I'll see you in about a thousand years. And he just kind of flicks them away. You're done. Just send that one angel. That angel hasn't been doing anything. He's got no name. Just grab the bike lock and go grab Satan, you know. And he throws him into the bottomless pit. I don't know if you guys ever thought about the bottomless pit. I was thinking about it earlier. It says bottomless pit. How many of you guys just don't believe it's a bottomless pit? Like, it can't be a bottomless pit. There's no such thing. <laughs> Space has no edge, right? You know that. They say it's like 900 billion light years to the edge. That's what science, like, there's an edge. Oh, there's no edge. God made space infinite on purpose just so your mind could melt, okay? Just so you could, your face could fall off your body. Like, ugh. He did it on purpose. Like, we, we don't, uh, everything has a beginning and the end. No, it doesn't. Anyways, the devil's thrown into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, I like a good thrill. I've been skydiving. I haven't yet been bungee jumping. I'm thinking about taking the staff skydiving for Christmas this year. Just crazy. I like, you know, I'm kidding. But I like doing that stuff. And, but I thought about, can you imagine falling for a thousand years? <laughs> just imagine it later today. Just go to Starbucks, get some decaf, and just sit there and be like, What? A thousand year free fall. Now, one thing it would do is it would incapacitate you. You're, you're chained up with the bike lock, but you're also falling for a thousand years. I don't know if that's what's really going on, but I like to geek out on that stuff. It sounds right to me. Just suffering. Oh. And at the end of a thousand years, we saw that he's going to be released for a time, which to me is like, I've known this, I've studied this, and I've always wondered why. Doesn't it trip you out? The end of a thousand years, they're going to go get Satan. They're going to grab him out of the bottomless pit, take off the bike lock. Hopefully that angel remembered the four-digit code there to get that bike lock off and get Satan free. And then Satan's going to have one more go, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes here, to deceive the nations. 
Now, if you're a Christian here today, okay, you will never be deceived again. Okay, you'll be there ruling and reigning in your resurrected body. There'll be a whole group of people during the thousand year reign, listen, that made it through the tribulation. Those are the survivors, tribulation saints. They're gonna be in their earthly bodies and they're gonna be living there, procreating and repopulating in a perfect environment with Jesus reigning and ruling from Jerusalem. And after a thousand years and the lifespan will be extended, the Bible tells us, and the quality of life will be incredible. And if you die, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, if you die at 100 years old, it'll be like a two-year-old dying. It'll be weird because you're supposed to live for a thousand years without your body falling apart. Let me just ask a question. How many of you guys think living for a thousand years with your present body condition sounds horrible? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, do you just, throw, just bury me in some Advil in the corner, you know? And what in the world? Yet somehow, through the restoration of Jesus Christ, and through him ruling from Jerusalem, the Bible speaks of this portion of Scripture in lots of other verses where there will actually be the quality of life will be restored and men and women will live to be 700, 800, 900 years old, procreating, healthy, not falling apart. It's something you have to believe by faith and trust the Lord. It's hard for us to see any other reality than the one we're in, isn't it? We're just so selfish. We're, so super, we're just so superficial. Like, I only know uh, the internet. I don't know how it's gonna work, you know. I'm, I'm all confused. <sighs> Anyways. This devil is thrown into the abyss. Lots of different names for the bottomless pit, the abyss, and then there's Hades and Gehenna, which are different, and eternal judgment. Then there's Abraham's bosom, which is different. All these places you go when you die. If you're a believer, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you're a believer, your last breath here is your first breath with him, okay? If you're not a believer, okay, you go into these holding places. You go into Gehenna or Hades or to the bottomless pit, or if you're the Antichrist, you go into the lake of fire, all these crazy places. This abyss, I mean, there's not necessarily need to go into great detail. This abyss is also spoken of in the New Testament where Jesus was casting out those demons from that man. Remember the man at Gadara? He had a legion of demons. And he's about to cast him out and the demons begin to negotiate with Jesus. Don't send us to the abyss. The bottomless pit where the worst of all demons are reserved for the end days, for the last battle. And these demons beg Jesus, don't send us there. And so Jesus doesn't send the demons to the abyss, but instead he sends the demons to the pigs and the pigs then with their demon possession jump into the Sea of Galilee. You guys remember that story, right? It's because of that story, by the way, you can never once again in your life say, when pigs fly. It was good. Maybe the delivery was wrong. I'll try it again. Additionally, the inspiration for deviled ham comes from that verse as well. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's my first, it's my first time. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. You're going to tell that joke later in your life. I know you will. And they're not going to laugh at you either. Verse 3. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And he shut him up and he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. And after these things, he must be released for a little while. I don't know what this seal is like or what it entails. I'm just glad the Lord is high controlling this guy saying no more deception, no more deceiving. And guys, this is then now. Right now, you gotta have your mantle up. You gotta have your guard up, your shield and your sword and your helmet on, your breastplate of righteousness and your belt of truth. And then you gotta have those feet of the gospel. You gotta be suited up. It's war right now. There is deception happening. Have you ever been deceived? Have you known family members to be deceived? One day, he will deceive no more. 
And I hope you guys are learning this. We have three major enemies, okay, primarily. This one for sure. This is the infernal enemy. He's on fire, man. Infernal. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But then we have the external enemy. You guys realize this, right? Okay, it's the world around us. John tells us that the world around us is fading and it is not of God. The commercial system, the false religious system, the educational system, I mean, by, by and large, okay, the liberal system out there. Have you, I mean, where's God at right now? <laughs> Isn't it nuts that our world is slowly and but surely getting more and more godless? It's the wicked world, okay? It's infernal. Then there's external, but here's the one that I tend to fight the most is that internal enemy. It's Luke Frechette. Man, Luke Frechette, that guy's, watch out for that guy. Okay, pray for that guy. That's me, by the way. Pray for me. Pray for yourself, man. You're, you ever heard that saying before? The devil made me do it. Right? Raise your hand if you ever said it before. Right. And, and there's a cop-out at times in saying that. But if you've ever fought spiritual warfare, if you've ever been deceived, if you've ever been on that frontline battle, and you have fought back that infernal, external, and internal enemy all three at once, and then you succumb to whatever that sin is, you know, and there's some merit there. Man, the stinking devil made me do it. And he's out of here, and I'm in the stuff now, and I gotta plead the blood, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sins. And you run to him. Man, yesterday, John chapter three, Jesus Christ with Nicodemus. And as he's sharing the gospel with them, he says to Nicodemus, just like the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so the son of man shall be lifted. Two verses later, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as I was reading that yesterday morning, I had some stuff in my heart that had rendered me snake bitten. And as I was reading John 3, the Lord met me. When I started John 3, verse 1, I was kind of like in the flesh. I don't know if you ever like, your coffee is not working right away, and you're, you're trying to read. And she's like, whatever, you know, and you're reading. And as I kept getting closer and closer, then the Lord just showed me. He's like, Luke, you got bit by a snake. And in the Old Testament, when the guys got bit by a snake, this is two verses before the most epic verse in the whole Bible, where God declared, declares his love for everyone. You got bit by a snake, bro. And if you remember the story in the Old Testament, if you got bit by a snake, two things had to happen. Number one, you had to have faith. Okay, that looking at a pole would heal you. That doesn't make any sense. You know what I'm saying? Moses, Moses is like, there's a, there's a way to be healed. You got to look at the pole like, you know. You got to have faith. But not just faith, but if you get snake bit, you know what else you have to have? Honesty. You couldn't just be like walking up to the pole with your snake bite, like pretending you're cool. Like, <laughs> you know, look at the pole. I'm, I wasn't there, but I'm imagining getting to the pole was not easy. Like your army car crawling, you know, like RoboCop. You know, what are, are people dragging you? You're snake bit and dying. And if you get to the pole, you gotta have faith, but you also have to have honesty and humility. And the Lord met me yesterday and said, Luke, just do it, bro. Just get honest. Why? Because I love you. For God so loved the world. Can I just encourage anybody who's been bit by the dragon, this deceiver, snake, serpent of old, okay? Christ became a serpent for us, and he was lifted, that we can be honest. And I trusted the Lord. I was, I'm gonna trust you, Lord. I need full forgiveness. I need just new heart, man. So good. 
After a thousand years, he'll be released for a little while. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Look at verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There are two groups of people introduced in verse four, and in the final sentence of verse four, there is their job description. Okay, I'm gonna read their final sentence of verse four because it's a big verse, a lot of stuff going on here. You guys need to pay attention. I'm gonna read verse four and ask you guys a question. It says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, how many guys got real confused with that verse? And they lived, okay, it's, and, and they reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. Now, how many of you guys think that's a trick sentence? Like, this, it's like, you know, like it doesn't mean what it actually said. I say that because there's a whole bunch of Christians that read that and say, that's got to be symbolic. <laughs> because they just can't conceptualize that will actually live, listen, for 1,000 years, listen, reigning, listen, listen, with Christ. This millennium period. In, in chapter 20, the millennium or a thousand year period is mentioned six times. Six times is a lot of times to mention, listen, I'm just gonna say it this way, if it weren't actually real, if it were symbolic. It might even say something like, and they reign for something like a thousand years or similar to a thousand years or what felt like a thousand years, you know? Instead, it says literally a thousand years, six separate times. I'm saying that to say this. There are three groups. I'm just gonna go over them quickly. The first group is the millennialists. These are the group that, that if you put the, the A as a prefix before a word, it means you actually don't believe in that. They're all millennialists. They, they don't believe. There is, there is no millennium period. And they believe actually there's no millennium period. There's no real ruling and reigning from this earth with Jesus for a thousand years. It's all symbolic and it's all, it hasn't happened at all. And one of the problems with that is that they actually believe that this is the restoration period. We're in it right now. That Satan has already been crushed. He's already, he's in the bottomless pit right now and he's chained up with the bike lock and he's falling. How many of you guys feel that the Satan's already in the bottomless pit? He's all chained up and he's sealed and he doesn't bug anybody anymore? <laughs> Man, that chain's pretty brittle, you know? Then there's the pre, no, no, then there's the post-millennialist. These are the ones who actually do believe in a thousand-year reign, kind of, and they believe after the thousand-year reign, which is kind of, it's symbolic, after post-millennialist, that Christ will return and set up his kingdom, and actually they believe we're in that time right now as well. And they believe that the thousand years is symbolic. It means the perfection of time, 10 times 10 times 10 is, is, a, is a thousand, and that's what it really means. And right now that Satan has been bound, and again, if this is that rebuilding time, like the all-millennials say, the post-millennials, I want a refund. This isn't cool. This isn't, this isn't the kingdom age I was hoping in, you know. As a matter of fact, uh, there's, let me say this before I make fun of anybody else anymore, quickly. One of my favorite rappers, Shai Lin, is a, a all-millennialist. He's one of the most theologically sound rappers. He actually totes himself as a theological rapper, and he's an all-millennialist. He doesn't believe in this. But let me say this about this particular doctrine. This is a non-essential doctrine. It's open-handed, okay? The millennial reign, how it happens, where it happens, when it happens, it's, it's open-handed, which means that if you disagree with me, we can disagree, have discussion, and still both be saved by Jesus Christ and his blood, okay? We're still on the same team. You can have a different. It's a non-essential doctrine. There are essential doctrines, okay? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay, the death of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ. If you and I, if you have a different view than what is held by Christians, okay? We, we, don't, we don't budge an inch on what we call closed-fisted 
doctrines. Open-handed means that if you are different than me in some sort of conviction or persuasion, I can actually hold hands with you. We can still be Christians. I'm going to squeeze your hand till it hurts. Try and get your attention, you know. But there's closed-fisted doctrines where I can't not only hold your hand, but I might punch you in the face. I might fight. I'm going to defend the doctrines. Yeah, I'm going to fight you. <laughs> Anyways. Then there is the third and correct doctrinal view, which is the one that I hold, which is the pre-millennial reign, which means that right before pre the millennial reign, Christ will come and he will establish himself in Jerusalem and he will reign with them forever, for a thousand years together. Let me read that last verse again because this is where I come, with, come up with this. It says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's kind of where I get that kind of pre-millennial reign. Jesus it says he's going to come back and he's going to be here with us. So you guys can go on the internet and find some other stuff. Those other two groups, all millennial, post-millennial, those are real small minority groups. I don't even understand why. Actually, I do, I do know why. Here's, here's why. Because you're asking yourself, why would they do that? Here's their logic. Their logic is, is that right now Christ isn't coming back till the end of the thousand years, which is happening. And he's gonna come back after we bring the kingdom now. When the bride readies herself to such a degree and the church is so triumphant and sin is so minuscule that we finally make ourselves so ready for the Lord to return. And so we need to take over politics and we need to take over churches. We need to take over education system. We need to take over, we need to make everything better for him to return. Now, how, that does sound kind of cool, right? Let's get it better, but that negates then all of the scriptures that prophesy in detail that in the days that the Lord will return, it'll be darker and darker and weirder and weirder, more like Lot's days, more like Noah's days. It's more crazy. And it also negates kind of what's going on in reality. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are looking around like, it's not getting any better. No, I'm getting worse. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's getting worse. I'm not trying to be a weirdo. I'm just being an obser observer. And So anyways, that's why they believe that. I believe that this says that the Lord will return literally to planet earth, and he will rule and reign with them. Now, it speaks of two people groups in verse four. It introduces at the beginning some people that will sit on thrones and judgment was committed to them. We'll talk about those guys in just a minute. Then it says in the middle of verse four, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image. Stop right there. Isaac. These are tribulation saints. These are different than the bride of Christ. These are ones who were not saved when the rapture happened. They missed the boat. Yet after the rapture, during the tribulation period, the two witnesses or the angels flying back and forth or the 144,000 witnesses from Jerusalem, they got saved during that time, did not sell out, were killed, were beheaded, raised from the dead, and they'll be resurrected in the first resurrection and come back to rule and reign, not in the same fashion as you and I who have our resurrected bodies. They will be different, but nonetheless, they will be there. Let's talk about that first group, though. Verse four, first sentence, I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Stop right there, eyes up here. You know what that is? It's for sure the apostles. The Bible speaks that the apostles will be given rulership over the 12 tribes of Israel during that thousand-year reign. Okay, they're going to be in charge. But it's not just them. It's you, and it's me. It's Christians. We'll be with him. Jesus said that some will be given 10 cities. Some will be given over five cities. Some will be in charge of white city. That's a Rogue Valley joke, sorry. It's funny. There's a, there's a place. Anyway, some will be given one city. Some will be, and here's my point, is what you do now for the Savior, what you do now in your life, it matters forever. And in the thousand years, I don't know if this is gonna help some people right now because you're probably going through some stuff right now that maybe isn't fair. 
Okay, maybe it's unrighteous, maybe it's unjust, maybe it was the devil, maybe the devil made you do it. And you're like, oh, now here I am. Woohoo, now I'm in trouble. What am I gonna do now? And the Lord's looking at you and he's saying, what you do now matters. But Lord, I've gone too far. It's over. The divorce papers are final. The doctor bills are coming in. The thing happened. It's, it's too late for it to get what I wanted. And the Lord says, well, who cares what you want? What you do for me by faith and in this life will be carried over into eternity. What you do now and the way you deal with your family or lack of family or stress or trauma or chaos, the way you are faithful over a little, Jesus said, I'm going to put you over a bunch. Guys, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. If your life's out of control, things have spun out of control, things are not where you wanted them, hey, join the club, okay? You can be the president. But you need to double down and say, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, Lord. Forgive me as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. For yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And you live and you deal with and you do and you go through your life for that day then. And the Bible says you will be given judgment over the people who will populate planet earth. They're gonna need you. They're gonna have their mortal bodies. Satan gone, Antichrist gone. Sin nature, still there. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, there. This is gonna be a, a utopia environment, but listen, you're gonna have a job description. You're gonna have a purpose. You need to buy into this, and you need to understand this. This life is a fleeting moment in time filled with chaos and serpents and dragons and devils and liars and deceptions, you know, blood everywhere, and crosses and tombs and and bike locks and devils and stuff. The Lord says, yeah, I know, but there'll be an end. I saw thrones, verse four, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Can you imagine if you're put in charge in your resurrected body, okay, of cities? I call the Hawaiian Islands, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> you can come visit. Yeah, right. Who knows? We're, we're gonna be put in charge of stuff. Verse five, read, read with me. Let's get a few more verses under our belt today. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Does that sound pretty clear, that last verse? What's gonna happen in the thousand years? We're gonna be priests. We're gonna rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, just in case you wonder if it's symbolic. I don't, I think it's literal. It's going to happen. You who are believers here today are gonna to be there ruling and reigning with him. What you do now counts until then. There are those though who reject Jesus Christ today and historically. They will not be resurrected in the first resurrection. They'll be resurrected in the second resurrection. It's fairly confusing, so I'm not gonna to go too deep. There are two resurrections only. There's no general resurrection. There's the first and the second. The first resurrection began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's kind of like a parade. You ever been to a parade before? Okay, a parade is one event, okay, with many features. And the first resurrection began 2,000 years ago when Christ rose from the dead. He's the firstborn of God, the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. And the people in the Old Testament who live by faith and are with Abraham right now will also be part of that resurrection at the end of the seven-year tribulation period at the beginning of the millennial reign. And you and I, who are alive in Christ Jesus, 
will be caught up with him. And those who have died, who have slept in faith, will be caught up together to be with him forever. Your friends and family, the people we love, the first resurrection. Blessed are you if you're part of the first resurrection. I heard a saying years ago that said, if you're born once, you will die twice. There will be your earthly death, and there will be your eternal death. But if you're born twice, born from your mother's womb, that's number one, and born a second time when you're regenerated, born again. If you're born twice, you'll only ever die once. Born once, you're going to die twice. Born twice, you only die once. Verse 6 again, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God, and Christ shall reign and with them a thousand years. Verse 7, final thoughts. And now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. What? What? Objection? What? I've never liked that verse. Again, as I mentioned, God is pro-choice when it comes to choosing him or rejecting him. He wants you to have a choice, to make that choice to accept him as king over your life or to walk in your own foolishness and sin and folly. During the thousand-year reign, there will be people who made it through the tribulation period, repopulating the earth, and at the end, just check that out, this is so crazy, because I want you to be a little convicted when you leave here today and walk in the spirit. After a thousand years of living with Christ, seeing him in the flesh, knowing him, you and I reigning in judgment committed to us, a perfect utopia for a thousand years, all of a sudden Satan is released. Here's what it says. I just wanted you guys to get this. We'll, we'll catch up next week. And he says, and he will go out, verse 8, to deceive nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. This is a reference to Russia and some past wars that will happen in the future, but past to this verse, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up in the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Stop right there, eyes up here. The next portion, verse 11 and on, is the white throne judgment. But I wanted you to see at the end of the thousand years because it kind of, I don't like it. And I want you to chew on it the rest of the week. Can you imagine after a thousand years living in the millennial reign, being provided for, seeing the beauty, the restoration project of the world. It'll be restored during that time. That'll be our job description, putting the earth back together. It'll be like the Garden of Eden. Remember with God and Adam and Eve? This time it'll be God, Adam, and Eve. And everybody, it's gonna be so cool. Can you imagine though people at the end of that? Rebelling against God, rejecting him. Somehow Satan in his sinful, sneaky, slithery, slimy, slippery ways taking people out. And it boggles my mind, and yet if you're honest here today, has the Lord been good to you? Has the Lord only been kind to you? Has he provided for you? Has the Lord only ever wanted to bless you and been so faithful to you? And yet you and your broken, fleshly, immortal, mortal, should I say, fallen nature, you go after the deception. You go after the thing. 
I'm so thankful for God's grace. Every time I fall, every time I sin, every time I run, every time I do something stupid, the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God follows you. And if you, if you sin right, you know how to sin right? I teach you how to sin right. Okay, the way to sin right is to repent deeply. Not, not shallowly. Not worldly. I wish I could just tell you not to sin. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm going to tell you how to sin right. When you sin, you run back to Jesus. And you embrace him. How many times? Seven? How about 70 times seven? How about over and over and over and over again? And as much as I want to be perfect and strong and valiant and immovable, man, I want Luke Rochette to do good. He doesn't. And every time I'm broken down and every time I fail, it's an opportunity, okay, for the Lord to be glorified. Paul said, I only boast in two things, the cross and my weakness. Let the weaknesses that you still have humble you, make you that authentic man who knows your Savior. Make you that authentic woman who knows your Savior. For these then, it'll be too late. They'll reject the Lord for us today. Would you bow your heads and close as we pray all this in? Jesus, thank you for your word, for your fellowship, for worship, for prayer, for communing together. And in Jesus' name, Lord, as we go our way now and the 11 a.m. service comes in and people are at home watching and the world is being shook up and world peace is escaping us, may we be those who have their eyes on the prize, the trumpet sound, that all things that we do now matter for eternity. Christ, you have gone into our past. You have settled into our present. You have secured our future. May we now live above the noise, above the chaos. Forgive us of our sins. If you're here today and you do need forgiveness, that forgiveness is flowing. That conviction is from the Lord. Condemnation, rebuke it, reject it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He does not condemn you. But he will discipline you because he loves you. And when that discipline is done, the end will be peaceable fruit and righteousness. So Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your work, for your promise. We take your word. Have your way in our hearts now. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. Oh.